the letter effectively says um, that if you are a battery connection either at transmission or distribution and you have transmission enabling works um, then you will be allowed to connect ahead of those works as long as you're happy to, to accept a, a non-firm connection. There are a couple of exceptions uh, where there are enabling works required for things like you know, building a bay to physically connect you in or if it's something which is safety critical like fault level um, but otherwise this feels like it could be quite a big game changer. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Welcome to Road Knight Taylor's The Connectology podcast. I'm Pete Aston and I'm joined by Catherine Cleary, Philip Bell and Nikki Pillinger as we discuss our inaugural Grid News and Views podcast. So welcome, everyone. Thanks, Pete. Hi, Pete. Hi, Pete. And uh, depending on how it goes, it could be our last Grid <laughs> News and Views, but let's see how it goes. And uh, if, if you like it, let us know. Uh, if you don't like it, let us know as well. And then we can either do more or less of this sort of thing. Uh, the general idea of what we're going to do with this is just pick on some current topics uh, where we particularly want to sort of uh, bring attention to it. That's either going to be news items that are really relevant for developers um, or it's going to be our own views on uh, particular topics, um, again, where there's sort of particular relevance to the developer community. So uh, I'm going to pick on Catherine first. Do you want to just sort of lead off with your particular item that you'd like to share with us? Uh, yeah, I thought uh, news uh, for July uh, or June, June, July um, was probably uh, for me uh, National Grid ESO's letter um, about battery connections being able to connect ahead of non-critical enabling works. So if anyone who hasn't seen this, um, this is effectively kind of building on the five point plan where NGESO uh, came out with a kind of commitment to accelerate battery connections where possible. Um, I think they've really followed through. So uh, the letter effectively says um, that if you are a battery connection either at transmission or distribution, and you have transmission enabling works, um, then you will be allowed to connect ahead of those works as long as you're happy to, to accept a, a non-firm connection. There are a couple of exceptions uh, where there are enabling works required for things like you know, building a bay to physically connect you in, or if it's something which is safety critical like fault level. Um, but otherwise, this feels like it could be quite a big game changer. We, we weren't quite aware that this was going to be for distribution connections as well, were we? Yeah, absolutely. I think the wording of that letter is really important. Um, I'm not sure whether DNOs are aware that this has happened for distribution connections. So it feels like something which is, um, you know, really timely and uh, worthy of a discussion. But but the, but in black and white, it says transmission and distribution connected projects. So for that one, how quickly is it going to be before something is done specifically for each customer in terms of making it clear that previously in a mod app came back that they had enabling works now they're going to disappear that's going to be the next question isn't it it is isn't it and i think you know whereas that process is probably relatively clear for transmission customers because either you expressed interest in the in the eoi um to say you wanted an earlier connection or you didn't and that's kind of the mechanism those who expressed interest the expectation is they're going to get a variation offer um documenting that non-firm connection but and just say, well, aren't going to write out to the individual distribution projects that expressed interest. So I think, yeah, that, that'll be kind of really key to see next. Well, my understanding is that the uh, National Grid's ESA is going to write out to the DNAs, giving them effectively some sort of a capacity yeah. within which the, the at DN, each GSP. At each GSP, that the yep. DNO can then sort of allocate this non-firm capacity of some kind, which 
I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work. Well, and, and maybe we'll come on, to, but, but, you know, maybe the, the DNOs are going to have to, obviously the ENA has come out with their kind of three-point plan about sort of accelerating and moving to this sort of ready-to-connect solution. So it may be that DNOs might have some hard choices between accelerating battery connections and perhaps having some additional headroom to accelerate non-storage but ready-to-connect projects. And it's also going to be interesting to see how they manage to do that in terms of a fairness aspect. Often the DNOs do it very much on a this person who accepted first, whether they write to each person in order and say, are you ready to progress or not? And potentially we're going to see an awful lot more battery storage schemes being ordered and on the boats coming across you know, NG with their modelling have been specific about the fact that it's storage connections because these are people accepting non-firm connections, you know, with potentially quite significant restrictions on availability. So listen to our restrictions on availability podcast. Yes, absolutely. So, and I think this ties up with with one small piece of news um, around the ENA's three-point plan, which is just that um, that specifically said that um, older schemes were going to be chased by the DNOs I guess they should have been anyway, but they were definitely going to be chased by the DNO. So if you, I think it was 2017 or older, your your accepted connection offer, if you didn't have milestones in them, they were going to chase you up to, to either terminate your scheme or put milestones in them. Have any of you had any feedback from that happening yet? DNOs writing out? So I've actually had that happen already. Obviously, the DNOs have been doing quite a lot of work um, on trying to get people out of the queue who are clearly not progressing. So... I think with certain DNOs who, who've actually put quite a lot of effort into uh, getting non-moving projects out of the queue, that has happened already. It's very complex with offers that don't have milestones at all uh, from the sort of legal aspect, um, but we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, that's a fairly interesting development because obviously people have been pushing the DNOs to do this for a very long time, but obviously the concern is there is a contract with accepted schemes and how do they introduce terms and conditions into a contract that didn't have them already. Um, so I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how they manage to go through and do that without causing legal issues. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. I think the last thing on the ENA's three-point plan was the flip side of the older schemes was that they were, they were going to be writing to customers and saying connections that were pretty much ready to connect were going to be sort of offered a conversation with the DNO about how that could be progressed, accelerated in, in some way or other. And again, with no, I've got no specific examples on that. Nikki's going to say something. Um, I suppose the, uh, the initial issue was that when the DNOs came out of their definition of sort of shovel ready or ready to connect projects, it's, it's very different from the reality. Shovel ready to them was, you know, you've got planning, you've got land rights, you've got a progressed ICP design, you've got financing. Unless we've done something quite wrong in the process, um, there's not going to be any projects that have have all of those things and have a, a long transmission date. Um, so they've, they've having to quite rapidly reevaluate what that definition of shovel ready or ready to connect is, because that probably still means a couple of years time. I have a few that I'll come on to later with the views of where some of those projects have come into those from um, some quite considerable mess ups from some of the DNOs. So I think that's something that I'll come on to later. Okay, right. Sorry, Catherine, you can say. No, right. We'll we'll move on to Philip then. So Philip, um, bring us your your sort of juicy bit of information. See, mine's a view rather than news. Unfortunately, at this point, um, it's more around some of the DNOs in particular have been very slow at doing their project progressions and it's such now it is very much to the detriment of some of those customers and I think there really needs to be a light shone on that scenario to go when did this scheme accept 
When did the customer ask to go through the mod app? When did the DNO submit the mod app? And how was the ESO not aware that there was a DNO who didn't submit a mod app for some GSPs for over two years, despite there being all the information in the public domain around the long-term development statement, the, all of the registers that show the number of accepted schemes? And there are some schemes that are shovel-ready with ICP submitted because the DNOs roped them and said they didn't have any mod app issues whatsoever. And I've now turned around and written to them that even though they accepted two and a half years ago and they told them point blank that they didn't have any issues, that now they do and they have to wait because they don't have that letter that gives them permission to connect them to the transmission system. And I'm surprised there isn't more focus on this and why there isn't a suggestion of why isn't a guarantee of standard that within a set time of someone accepting, because unfortunately, unless there is a standard with penalties, with teeth on it, then it allows some of the DNOs to just not do it, to refuse to do it, and even getting to very senior levels of going through. And personally, my view is, I'm surprised there's more generation customers who are not screaming, saying, I have been disadvantaged from the point of view of the DNO not doing an activity that they should have done, that they have a moral obligation, potentially even a cusk obligation to do, to submit a mod app when they feel there's a material impact on the GSP. And they've just chosen not to do it. And I think that's something that even though there's all these regional development plans in progress, they are fixing a problem of the DNO's own making. And I suspect that in the very near future, we're going to see an awful lot more generation customers losing their patience because the DNO's, first of all, have caused an issue. And then the resolution is just taking far too long to come through and ultimately also asking the question, why is it that ESO will only permit them to go into the transmission queue at that point, also making sure that transmission customers aren't disadvantaged because the DNO didn't submit the mod app when they arguably should have done? And this isn't a new issue, is it? That the slow project progressions has been a thing for, what, three years or more? Three, mm. four years, perhaps? So it's it's, it's not a new issue, and but it's still happening. And it is very frustrating when you can, you know, when, when the DNOs know that customers are frustrated and they, they're still not accelerating it. I guess the DNOs would say they've got resourcing issues and etc. but I guess that doesn't really let them off the hook. I would agree. It's, I mean, I'd say it's probably an issue for more like seven or eight years that it's been around that certain customers have had mod apps that have gone in very slowly. Just different DNOs have learnt this at different times and different DNOs have chosen not to focus resource in this area. Um, and I think for some DNOs, they're going to have some really difficult questions to answer where they've had the learning from this in the past and chosen not to implement a solution. But do, do you think that the slow project progression process, slow mod apps by the DNOs, is one of the reasons why lots of developers have gone up to, to transmission, transmission connections? I think so. I, mean, we, I think I remember we talked about this last year, didn't we? But, you know, in some ways, if the constraints on the network are predominantly transmission constraints, you are in a better position as a direct transmission customer. If the constraints are majority distribution constrained, then actually you're probably better off as a DNO customer able to engage directly with the, the, the network owner who's in charge of resolving those constraints. I absolutely think that's true, Pete. And it's really key. Uh, the, the kind of levers that we as an industry can, can, can push on, I think, are all to do with the connections reform strategies, the, the five-point plan, the three-point plan, long-term reform, which all talk about trying to fix this TD boundary 
And I think keeping the asks really simple, completely with you, Philip, you know, let's let's make there be a kind of, you know, even if it was a best practice standard, that would be a good start to say, actually, every DNO should be submitting a project progression or a mod app, you know, as required for generation schemes within two months of acceptance. Agreed. And, and some of them have started doing that now. Um, there's been a commitment from uh, from UK Power Networks, for example, that they're going to submit a mod up every three months, which is quite challenging because they'll they'll submit one and then they'll they'll be quite a lot of toing and froing between uh, between them and uh, and National Grid in terms of what that solution is going to be. Um, I suppose just my my input on this is about process within DNOs. So there's a lot of people within DNOs who genuinely do not know what the process for Appendix G, mod app, statement of works, project progressions, any any of those processes should actually be. Um, so it's kind of an education piece within DNOs as well as the sort of resourcing issue um, and things not being put in quickly enough. It's simply a case that some DNOs and some engineers genuinely didn't know that one actually needed to be put in. Yeah. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's Connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. Having worked in the DNA, I suggest that's probably an issue with internal communications that probably isn't excusable. <laughs> but maybe, maybe uh, I agree with you. It probably is a situation. But just to push back on you, Philip, on that, um, if we move to a sort of from a first come first serve to a ready to connect first to connect queue system, does it matter about speed of project progressions? I would argue you have the uncertainty. The problem you have is there are people that are now out there that are ready to go. But ultimately, at any time that you have a project, one of the things that Road Knight Taylor will lead on is telling people to understand all the risks, the costs, the potential issues and how to go about through de-risking it. Ultimately, if you take that approach, you could end up rewarding those who have ploughed on headfirst, hoping, praying it will be okay, potentially disadvantaging the prudent, good developers that have followed good practice to try and go through and understand what all of the risks are methodically to go through to develop schemes. Catherine, you'd like about to say something? Yeah, well, I was just going to come in and say that I think I'm worried that perhaps certain people think that things like technical limits so some of the proposed uh, alternative solutions that would allow a dno to just manage to a technical limit at a particular gsp sort of remove this issue and i think the problem is that we sort of know we've kind of been here before where we've agreed materiality headroom limits and it, it gets eaten up so you know you you that dno is always going to need to keep going back and submitting you know modification applications um as whatever kind of technical limits they've agreed get reached and, and and you know and that sort of capacity gets gets used by generators connecting so it, it feels to me like it's an enduring solution that we will need dnos to submit mod apps and therefore we do need there to be a timely process for it and, and i'd agree i mean i think one particular gsp in an area which is going through i think the dno genuinely thought that a m would resolve it but i pretty sure the last mod app submission has gone in with nearly 1.8 gigawatts on a particular gsp that's an infrastructure site that's an obscene amount of 
generation to presume that an A&M scheme would resolve it mm. and then through that mod app process has been caught up by all of the wider works and potentially <coughs> one or two new GSPs being needed because of that significant amount of generation, power station levels worth of generation. Do we have any news on technical limits and how far DNOs have got in terms of agreeing the process and the regularity with which Ngesso are going to reveal these? I, I don't know myself uh, deafening silence oh i am um, i haven't heard anything yet um uk power networks seem to be the ones that are the best at communicating this at the moment and we haven't heard anything from them at the moment i think there is a forum sometime in july that we'll have to have a check on what the date is um so hopefully we'll hear a little bit more about that because they are trialing that at one of their gsps well maybe that, that can be a subject for our next news and views session podcast when we know some information about technical limits okay move on to to nikki now no nikki you've got some thoughts around delivery of projects yes so not so much news as a, a, a frustration i suppose because i i focus on post acceptance projects at road knight taylor um so a lot of my work is it's engaging with the dnos and it's pushing projects forward this has always been fairly challenging due to resourcing issues within dnos but recently it seems to have reached another level of uh, of of <laughs> trying to actually get projects moving forwards being incredibly difficult, especially with SCR. So I think a lot of engineers have been sort of allocated to putting together um, that uh, offers for that surge of applications that that were still happened um, on April the first. So there were still quite a lot of schemes that submitted on April the first with the hope that you know they would get different uh, costs or different curtailment. So yeah, my main issue at the moment is DNO resourcing um, and actually being able to even get hold of engineers um, and being able to push through uh, projects. At the moment, it's all very well sort of saying, oh yeah, we know we're going to enable early connections, but if you don't actually have any engineering resource to allocate towards getting that DNO design phase done and then taking the project through the ICP design phase, then it's going to be very, very challenging to actually connect anything. Um, and, and this is kind of across all the DNOs as well. It seems to be slightly worse in some than others, um, but it's very challenging to actually get projects through delivery in any sort of reasonable timescale at the moment. And potentially that could be significantly more challenging when there's this tidal wave worth of batteries that can now all of a sudden connect um, without the transmission enabling works or the wider enabling works that are needed, um, which then means that a challenging scenario at the moment may well become incredibly difficult. Because yeah, I guess from the DNA's point of view, maybe not unsurprisingly, that they've not been developing these projects that yeah. are stuck in a transmission key you know what mm. why would they be if they've got dates in the 2030s but you know like you say philip all of a sudden and then potentially you know have got huge amounts of schemes coming to them all in one go you know the the dnos in their defense only have a certain amount of resource so so they'll inevitably be um you know a time scale for them to deliver this I think if you look back two years ago, um, there'll have been a handful of EHV projects that were connected in each license area. And then if you look through in the last year, that would have increased quite significantly. If we look in the next two years, there is a tidal wave worth of projects that are coming through that I think most DNOs would probably admit that unable to, um, to resource appropriately. But it'll be interesting to see whether they are actively trying to get the engineers to try and increase that and whether they have full visibility of that. Yeah, I mean, that is the issue is that 
due to the sort of scale of subsidy free solar and batteries, you know, it is mainly one through two kV projects that I come across at the moment. And especially if you need a tower replacement for that, that's, you know, that's a huge piece of work. And that's also, by the way, a huge piece of work that has very rarely been done within DNOs. There are not a lot of 132kV tower replacements that have been done or, you know, 132kV tower mods um, or even, you know, where you get connections that have got pot masts. You know, these are things that have not been done by most people. So the process is quite unknown within the DNOs, you know, so a big part of what I've been doing is going through and trying to learn that process and getting the risks from that process when not a lot of people have actually done it recently. There's also a limited pot of consultants out there. So there's, what, two or three main consultants who'll do overhead line designs on towers and so on for DNOs. Uh, you know, so, so you're all sharing, they're all sharing a limited pot of resources as well, as well as internal and external resources. Okay, so delivery, major, major issues. So we'll have to keep, keep an eye on that. Thank you, Nikki, for that one. Uh, I've got a few points for myself. First one is I've been uh, sort of sitting on the solar task force. So this is a new task force set up by the government department for energy security and net zero. So they're looking to uh, obviously do a big push for, for solar connections. So they have a target. I don't know if you guys know this, but they have a target for 70 gigawatts of solar by 2035. Have you come across that one before? Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, so... Um, given, given our system demand is 50. <laughs> given our system demand is 50. And so, right, I, I wrote these numbers down in the first uh, group session we had because I, I wasn't aware of this. So correct me if I've got this wrong, if you know any better. But at the moment, there's about 15 gigawatts of solar connected. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, so they were then saying that there's about 10 gigawatts of solar with both planning permission and a connection agreement. Mm, interesting. Out there. Agreement offer. Uh, sorry, connection offer out there, meant offer. So with planning and a connection offer, uh, 10 gigawatts of solar in the planning process that hasn't got planning permission yet, and then another something like 60 gigawatts at pre-planning sort of scoping stage. So there's, there's obviously enough within that to hit 70 gigawatts, but that's still quite a big ask by... 2035 so i would say that obviously whilst there's a lot of solar that's in planning potentially not all of it will get permitted because of potentially good <coughs> reasons as to why it shouldn't be permitted for going onto the system and i think the other thing that we also need to keep a view on is that 70 gigawatts is a huge number for solar but the reason why 70 gigawatts are not 50 or 40 is because to decarbonize we need to use that electricity for heating and transport and then obviously also linking back to Nikki's conversation around delivery, if there's significant uptake in demand in transport and heating, that's also going to need significant assets to be installed, often in areas, in urban areas where there isn't the generation driving the reinforcement, which potentially makes delivery even more challenging for the next decade or plus. So, um, they're, I mean, they're huge numbers and it's it's great to see that those numbers are published, a guide out there. And obviously that's that's the reason why I'm presuming they've come up with the 70. Yeah, and I guess quite a lot of that in the process is going to be some of these larger transmission connections as well, which I guess are really challenging from a planning point of view. You know, you've got huge, you know, hundreds of megawatts of solar in a relatively small geographic um, location. Uh, but one of the interesting things about this group, I think, is that, um, so they're obviously the group's aware of the ESO's five-point plan and ENA's three-point plan going on. They, they sort of said that in the group, this was going to be a bucket for anything that's not yet been considered or picked up in any of the plans. So I think there's a real opportunity here to pick up things like 
super good transformer charging, which is something that we've gone on a lot here, um, but it seems to have fallen down every crack so far and not, not been picked up by the significant code review. Well, it was in there and then it got dropped. Um, hasn't been picked up by the ESO's charging reforms as far as I can see so far. So, you know, it's it's um, it's a big issue, I think, that needs resolving. And there's maybe other things that could be picked up with that. But um, I, I think there's some, you know, real interest in, in this particular group. Look, I think it looks like it's going to run until sort of, I think it was January or February next year. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, and then the last thing I was just going to pick up on, uh, and I suspect we've all seen this, is just a lot of the um, large-scale transmission reinforcements that have been in offers and so on for a while are now really getting pushed by uh, National Grid Electricity Transmission and some of the, Scot the Scottish TOs as well. Um, so just uh, things that I've seen come out recently in terms of like uh, consultations coming out to like the, the Eastern Green links, which from Peterhead, um, Scotland down to Drax in England, you know, that's now out. Then new 400 kV circuits from, from Norwich down uh, Bramford and then Braintree. Then you've got the sort of, is it Cotton uh, to Wymondley circuit or some, something like that. There's, there's a lot out there. And so, so National Grid ET particularly seem to be doing a lot of consultation exercises. That's really positive because they've been in offers for a long time and it actually starts to look a bit more real to developers and they can see National Grid are consulting on something that they have to wait for, or potentially have to wait for. Um, so I guess that's really good news that, that that's all happening, um, that there are things afoot to, uh, to actually release some of this capacity. I think that's probably most of what we've um, talked about before we started the podcast. Have you got anything else in your news and views that you want to share now before we call it a wrap? Not for me. Deafening silence. No, let's uh, save it for News and Views podcast number two. Fantastic. When hopefully we might have some news on uh, Ofgem's decision on milestones for transmission connection offers. Yes, because that's a really biggie as well. Absolutely uh, massive. Is that uh, September, is it, Catherine? Yeah, I think Ofgem have said they are going to try and make a decision by the 15th of September as the latest. Okay, so we'll maybe come back either before then to whet your appetite even more or after then. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully there'll also be an update on the ESQCR and P2 um, co-aligning to try and understand how battery storage should be considered from a demand perspective. So hopefully the outcomes from that working group will also be finished by the time of the uh, the next news and views. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, and we do hope you join into our next podcast. So thanks and goodbye. Thanks, Bye. Pete. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Road Knight Taylor connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.